Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You are welcome. They're, they're, they're kind of a little bit of a like a like a sneaky happiness. Well, I am I am in a very good mood for many reasons, starting with the fact that in the mail yes. two days ago arrived a book. A book from one of my favorite writers, <laughs> okay. Joe Posnanski. What called "Why We Love Baseball: A History in Fifty <laughs> Moments"? It's sitting right here on my desk. I'm very excited about this, and I a feel like book. we do this thing. One of the many ways in which you and I are bad at podcasting, which I think yes. have been well documented. We we talk for way too long. We have no yes. organizational skills. We don't plan anything. Right. We didn't realize until six years in that you could have a, a professional microphone to make you sound good. <laughs> That's we right. Didn't re- we didn't realize until eight years in that you could have guests come on the That's show right. and, and make Actual the show more people. interesting. Yeah, well, again, well documented that we're terrible at this. However, yes. another way that we are bad at this is that you uh, and I have both had uh projects that you can use a podcast to advertise and usually we don't get into the fact that you've written a new book until like an hour (laughs) 16 into the podcast i think that it's appropriate today here in mid-august with this book coming out in a matter of days that we lead off the podcast by saying joe incredibly to to everyone's great surprise has written a book (laughs) it's called why we love baseball history in 50 moments i'm holding it in my hand and it's extremely exciting that this is finally here i am very very excited and and there are there are a couple of things that i need to to be said right up front about it first of all um i am not the only person who wrote why we love baseball why we love baseball has (laughs) a couple of of uh special guest appearances i want to say that's right uh one of which is uh, Michael Shore. That's right. Uh, Michael Shore wrote a chapter in this book. And not only did he write a chapter in this book, he wrote a chapter, the, the assignment, it wasn't even an assignment because as far as I remember, I never asked you. It just like, it just suddenly just appeared in the book. Like, I, I just, I, I went, my eyes went black and I fell into some kind of weird trance and I wrote 7,000 words about the most important moment of Red Sox history. Yes and, yes. and then it landed in your inbox with, I think, a fairly threatening note that said, either this is part of your book or you don't want to know what happens. And now here it is. It's in the book. I'm very excited about it. It's it's really exciting. So yes, yeah, so it is, so it is not only Michael Shore, it is Michael Shore on the greatest moment in Red Sox history. And I, I and I will add, uh, a, a couple of things. There are a couple of things that let's let's get the. This is like old business. Let's get promotional yeah. things out of the way. Okay. First of all, Michael Shore wrote this wonderful chapter, uh, and and I say that about his favorite moment in Red Sox history. However, there was a section of his, and by he said seven thousand words. It was like 
forty thousand words. I, I don't. <laughs> it was. It was. It was like his own book. It was a actually. book. It was a book called Greatest Moments of Red Sox History that you edited down to one chapter. One in your chapter. Book. Yeah. But but there was a there was a fantastic and fun section in the book, um, in 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 Mike's chapter um, that I had to get out. I had to cut. I had to mm-hmm. cut the whole section. Not only because for space purposes, um, but because I had already written about that moment in yeah. in the book, uh, and and uh, I I don't want to give too much away because I, I love I love the idea of surprises. But what I will tell you is, if you pre-order the book, so the book is coming out September fifth. You now have a little bit more than two weeks, about two weeks to pre-order the book, right? Pre- and you can pre-order it everywhere. It's it's available everywhere for pre-order. If you pre-order the book and you go to my Substack um, and and look it up, you can sign up for uh, a director's cut Ooh. of this book. Yeah, which will have the Snyder uh, cut. You're going to release Snyder. The, the Snyder cut of the part of the book I wrote. That's we are very exciting. Releasing the Snyder cut only <laughs> only it's going to be separate. We're not putting it into one eight hour you know fiasco. Right. right. Um, but you will get. Uh, Moments that were the last moments cut from this book. Mm. They are fully written essays uh, that were cut from this book. And one of those essays will be Michael Shore's the Snyder, uh, cut. Uh, Snyder yeah. cut from his uh, Red Sox thing. That's so an extremely appealing offer. Isn't that I don't cool? Know how, I don't know how anyone <laughs> could ever resist that. I have to say, though, um, so I cracked the book open. And, and interestingly, for two people who talk all the time and text all the time about baseball specifically, yes. and who do an overly long uh, self-indulgent <laughs> podcast largely about baseball that's on right. the regular, I know surprisingly little about this book. And that's by design because I don't want I, – I hate spoilers, and I, don't, yes. I didn't want to know what you were writing about. However, I have a very clear memory – of something very specific I told you about this book when you <laughs> told right. me that you were when you were writing about the 50 greatest moments in baseball history I told you straight up yes. that if number 1 was not the ball hitting Canseco <laughs> on the head and bouncing over the fence that the whole project was illegitimate and I illegitimate. now am looking I am looking at the table of contents that is not number 1 so <laughs> it, it, it I I will I will give the way that it is in the book it is not number 1 it doesn't one. matter it doesn't I don't care of course it's in the book the point is, is that I said if it wasn't number one, that I was yes. I I was deeming the entire project well, to be what, illegitimate. What I was concerned about, and and I guess now that you know, because I didn't tell you uh, that it was not number one, now that you know that it's not number one, what I was concerned about, and what I remain concerned about, is that you are going to write a scathing New York Times review oh, yeah. of this book. If anyone asked me to review the book, I think you know what the lead paragraph says. <laughs> <laughs> this book is completely is illegitimate. An Ill- it's an illegitimate completely project. Illegitimate. So, so that is the first thing. If you want to, if you uh, want uh, to get this cool Zack Snyder director's cut um, uh, of this book, all you got to do is you go to my Substack, uh, pre-order the book. Go to my Substack. There's a form to fill out uh, that you can easily find. And uh, and it'll come in your mail. It'll come in your email. It'll, it won't be. It'll be an email thing. So that's going to be super cool. So that is a good reason to pre-order the book. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, while we're here, Mike and I will be in Kansas City on mm-hmm. September eighth doing a, an event for this book, which is going to be super fun. And and I don't just say this uh, lightly. Um, get your tickets if you want to be there because it is it is uh, selling fast. Selling 
Yeah, weird. Uh, why? I don't. I'm like I can't. I can't explain why it's selling. Know, people fast. people are gluttons for self punishment, and so they <laughs> they listen to this podcast for hours at a time, and then that's not. And then they're like, I want to. I want to see these two. I want to see these people in person. <laughs> these people that are wrecking my life. I want to see them in person. So mm -hmm. that is going to be really cool. But there is uh, an announcement that I want to make. In addition to this. I am going to be in Los Angeles September 12th mm. for an event for Chevalier's Books, uh, which is an awesome, you, it's it's your, it's kind of your rainy day, isn't it's it? It's my neighborhood bookstore. bookstore. Yes, it's a, it's a, a wonderful bookstore, it, a very lovely story of like one of the, you know, truly great independent bookstores in Los Angeles. And it's in my neighborhood. And uh, during uh, this is the story I like to tell to explain the role that it plays in our community is yes, during COVID, obviously, every business was threatened. Every single business of every single kind essentially was threatened, except for like Amazon. <laughs> and uh, this community of which I am a part, basically, without really talking about it was just like, over our dead bodies will Chevalier's books disappear. And so oh, what wow. happened was people started ordering books. They would leave them on the curb and you would go pick them up. But the other thing that happened was uh, that for every event, every birthday or kid's birthday or whatever, people bought Chevalier's gift cards, which was basically oh, like a wow. cash advance to the store that they that kept them afloat and they survived COVID. And it was really lovely and they're great people. They, um, I, I did a sort of version of what you did at Rainy Day and what I did at Rainy Day um, when the book came out through Chevaliers, which is like on their website, you can order. And this is, by the way, continuing. This is a, an ongoing thing. Oh, that's cool. You can go to the Chevaliers website and order my book and write down what you want me to inscribe in it and they'll mail it out to you. That is still, that's an, I go in every, <laughs> every week I'll sign one or two books even now, you know, a year and a half later. So they're, they're, they're great folks. Uh, and they, they serve a very valuable role in our uh, little community here. And I'm very excited that you're doing this event. Uh, yeah, the I great love Molly Knight, the great Molly Knight will be joining. Well, you. this is what I'm about to say. So, uh, the great Molly Knight and I are doing this event together for Chevaliers. And we put the information up. Uh, I mentioned it on my newsletter. Molly mentioned it in her newsletter. It sold out in 14 minutes. 14 minutes it sold out. Okay. Fantastic. Which is incredible. However, not good enough. Not good enough. This is we we want to we want to reach as many people as we possibly can. Uh, not just for us, but also for Chevaliers, this awesome bookstore. Um so they are opening it up. They are moving the event to a theater. Uh, I cannot give you all of the exact information yet. It'll be on my website. I'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, before I go. Uh, but they're still finalizing it, so I don't want to. I don't want to say anything in case it turns out uh, to be a little bit different. But they're moving it to a theater, so we are reopening the event so that as many people want to come can come. And I'm happy to announce. Not only will Mike Shore, local Chevalier celebrity, be there, <laughs> but we are going to be joined by Nick Offerman. Nick oh, Offerman is also going to be at the event. So it's going to be, look, if it was just Molly Knight, it should half a If it were just Molly there. Knight without you. It without me, be, I'm saying I don't want to be there. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. saying if it was just Molly Knight, 
it would be worth like a Dodger stadium type crowd in my right. view. Me joining adds, you know, whatever, a little bit. You joining, you know, adds it a subtracts, bit, right? subtracts a little bit. But then Nick, <laughs> Nick makes up Offerman. for you and me. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is, it's going to be. Uh, I think we so should do fun. it. Look, I went to the Taylor Swift uh, Eras tour at SoFi yes, Stadium. Yes, which I'm going to talk to Which you we about need to talk about. Uh, I do think it's possible that eventually we'll have to move the event to SoFi. <laughs> And use Taylor's <laughs> stage setup uh, in order to accommodate the number of people who want to see this. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be like that. Um, and and who knows? Taylor herself could could come. It's, po- it's you totally know, possible. We have no idea, right? I am wearing my Eras Tour sweatshirt. I, I don't see, that. see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm so wearing now, my, I'm wearing my friendship bracelets. <laughs> you wearing your friendship bracelets? So now we can let 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 it this be said because I have written about my. Taylor experience on my uh, in my newsletter with going with my daughter Katie. You went with your daughter. Mm-hmm. How was it? So here's the only way I think I can describe this. I also need to set the scene a little bit because this. So my daughter's birthday is in July. My wife's birthday is in late August. The concert was directly between the two of them. That's so right. it was a joint birthday, birthday party bash. celebration. Yes. Yeah. So we went with a number of my wife's uh, closest friends from college and a number okay. of my daughter's closest friends, many of whom are the daughters of my wife's closest friends. So <laughs> okay. just, just to set the scene, we're talking about a generational, an intergenerational this celebration of love yes. and happiness, right? So I had a, this is the only way I can really kind of encapsulate the experience. At one point, I was standing a little bit behind my wife and her closest friends and then my daughter and her closest friends and they were all just just rapturous is the only yes. word right and yes. and i had this i had a, a succession of thoughts that i think are the proper way to kind of relay the experience of seeing this concert yes. in that scenario and the succession of thoughts was wow this is the happiest this group of people i think have ever been like right. collectively right and then i thought that is true to the best of my ability to understand the situation of every group of people. That's right. In the entire building, which then led me to surmise that the given that it's 70,000 people, that yes. the amount of happiness, of pure happiness with unfettered, unburdened by anything that the modern world has to offer in terms of That's burdens right. or fetters that the amount of happiness contained in SoFi Stadium was the most happiness that there existed at any place on Earth at that moment. That's right. But essentially what Taylor Swift is doing is moving from city to city, first through North America, now she's going to Central America, Latin America, South America. Yes. And then she's going to Europe, and then I think also East Asia. And that essentially what she was doing was serving as a magnet for maximal happiness on earth and if you were an alien and you were flying over the earth and you had some kind of scanning device that was that was designed to locate the happiest place on earth then every time you rotated around the globe (laughs) the answer the the little dot that lit up would be wherever taylor swift is playing a concert (laughs) and if you like her music or don't like her music or are, find her uh, interesting or not interesting or wonderful or perfect or problematic or whatever. 
I don't think that you that anyone can deny the truth of that statement. That yes. the happiest place on earth every single day that she plays a concert is wherever she is playing a concert. It was really right. something to behold. It was like I, I and and you're talking about a group of girls who are say. 11 to 16 sure and then you're talking about a group of women who are say 42 to to 50 right. and you're also by the way talking about those women's husbands that's and right you're talking about another the threat spread throughout the 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 venue are are girls and women say 16 to 40 who yeah. are either there with each other or with their boyfriends, or with their husbands, or with their girlfriends, or with their wives, or just in every configuration, every group of people left that concert saying, "This is the happiest I have ever been in my life." <laughs> and it, I, it is, it's. I don't know how you move about the earth if you're Taylor Swift, knowing that 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 is what you were doing every night yeah. is basically making 60 to 70,000 people happier than they have ever been. My wife said after it was over that it was the greatest night of her life. Wow. And someone said, what about your wedding night? And without blinking, she was like, oh, this was way better than my wedding night. And she and I had an incredible wedding. Our wedding was really special and wonderful. But also when she said that, I didn't take offense at it for one no. second. because And, and it, she wasn't being glib. The point she made, which I think is really true, is... At our our wedding was incredible, and we have nothing but glorious memories of it. The whole weekend was was wonderful. Our honeymoon was wonderful, but at our wedding, my daughter didn't exist. That's right. A and her and her friends' daughters didn't exist. And so, to have a rapturous four hours that you are also that is that it is increased in intensity by sharing it with your closest friends who you've known for 30 years and your daughter and all of her friends and me, I'm also there. I'm, <laughs> I was at our wedding, but I was also at this event, right? So it's like nothing was sacrificed and everything was gained. And I, it really was like, uh, I mean, beyond, the, beyond everything that I've said so far, the other thing I would say, and I think you, you made reference to this too in your piece, the production of the event is so good. I don't think, my friend John August said, I don't think I'll ever see another event that is as flawlessly conceived of and executed from beginning to end artistically, creatively, production-wise, like yeah. conceptually. Like it, it is such a perfectly conceived and executed concert event. So it like there's there's kind of no there's no angle on it. Like there's right. no there's no right. where do you find the angle to criticize? I mean, if you don't like her music, you don't like her music, then there's nothing we can do for you. You're a lost cause. <laughs> but but even even if you don't like her music, the the actual experience of watching it was so overwhelming and so just joyous and and fun that uh, I think it's kind of like a highlight of all of our lives. That's of course it statement. is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's so funny. One of the things I thought about during the concert was exactly this, how happy everybody was. And I mean, you know, as an aside, if the good place points system uh, rewards- <laughs> does, does exist, yeah. Re if it ex <laughs> well, I, I know it exists. If it rewards making other people happy, 
Wait, she's like number one, like sailing, sailing into the good place. Yeah, without question. I'll say the only thing I've ever seen that even comes close, and this isn't. It will be interesting. Was when Beyonce was on tour. Yes. My wife and I went to see Beyonce, and that event too was incredibly creatively brilliant yes. and ec- conceived of and executed. The venue we saw it in Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium is a terrible place to see a concert. It's a mess. Right. It's like it's not. It's not designed for what. Uh, for, for it's designed for for baseball. It's not designed for <laughs> for music. But even so, the way that her stage was, the the choreography, the dancing, the her voice is otherworldly. Like yeah. her dancing is otherworldly. Like that. That was the before this. The only thing where I went home and was like, "Wow, I'll never be the same." Yeah. Um, that was the formation tour and she's now touring again and I, I need to go back and see her again because <laughs> I feel like now I have this, I'm chasing a high now yes. when, when yes. it comes to events <laughs> like this, I'm chasing a high and I, and there are like how many people on earth who could even, you would even guess could be in the ballpark. It's basically Beyonce. Well, uh, who, who, only, who else even would even the, be in the game? Well, but here's the thing. The only thing that I think in my mind ever touched the experience of of taking you to that high, there weren't 70,000 people there. It was Hamilton. It was right. seeing Hamilton when when it was the most electrifying thing any the original of us had ever cast, seen. the original oh, location, like right, yeah, right. Yeah. Everything. And and look, it's it's not it's an amazing experience now too but but back then when it was new and you didn't know what was coming and yeah. and you know but she's doing it everybody has known taylor swift for 20 years they've heard yeah. all of these songs there, there's no i mean there are surprises but they're not surprises along the same lines as as what you would see when you go see a show for the first time right, right? Like, which because you, you don't know the music and you don't, you don't know, know the, the, you don't you know, know what's the story. coming yeah that's right yeah. right you know everything going in you're told everything going in uh but it's i mean the way the the the, the, the way the two bits of happiness that i found the most enjoyable for me so i'm enjoying it on multiple levels i'm much much more Enjoying it, seeing it through my daughter's eyes, right? Yeah, like 100%. watching her and my wife both lose their minds was so awesome for me, and I'm sure yeah. same for you. But then, of course, I'm enjoying it on my own because I, I, we, you and I have been very clear about how much we love Taylor Swift. But the two things that struck my mind were one, when she started a song, and people were like. Oh my God, she's going to play. Shake it off. There's she's going to play. Like, <laughs> yeah. of course she is. I mean, like you knew she going in that she was not gonna leave blank space out or whatever. Yeah. And yet every time it was like, like, oh my gosh, what an unbelievable well, this, gift this is. She is this going is to the play most, this, this song. Uh, among the many levels of insanity is that. Shake it off is not my favorite Taylor Swift no, song. That no. song's kind of corny, and I and I was always like, and it's it's like all of her songs, it's catchy and it sticks in your head, yeah, it's an earworm yeah. or whatever. But no, like, no, it's I not, was like, it's not a it's not a top uh, two. Get out of here, shake it off. Yeah, but but she plays Live. that song. <laughs> she plays that song like two hours and two and a half hours into the concert, and you're like, yes. are you kidding me? We haven't even <laughs> like. There's a hundred more songs that you can think of. That yeah. she hasn't played yet. And by the way, 
some of my favorite songs of her. She doesn't play at all. Like, right. And that's it, it. She says at one point early on, she's like, I'm I'm I, I want to take you on a journey through 17 years of my music. Yeah. She's 33. <laughs> like, it's just, this is a this is a concert that you expect from. Elton John. That's right. No, or that's like, what I was or thinking. Or Tony yeah, like Bennett ten years Cher. ago, or Cher, or like, and it's like she's she's playing this in, in, immense catalog yeah. of song after song after song that you know that you've heard a million times that you've been singing forever in the car, and she's fourteen years younger than I am, <laughs> and it it really is it really is incredible, and the and the concept of it being the eras tour being like. Here's, there are a lot of different eras of her musical career, yes. and she walks through all of them. And it's like, man, that this is an artist. All great artists. What what separates truly great artists from pretty good or very good artists is yes. that they have an evolution. It's like the reason right. the Beatles are the Beatles is because they went from "I want to hold your hand" to "I am the Walrus" in like right. four and a half years. <laughs> That's right. And she is in the middle of. The, a similar kind of evolution that is just ongoing and seeing the different eras of her music and like how and how different they are someone so i i had a very this is the last thing i'll say about this because we should at some point talk about baseball the ostensible I guess, subject I guess. matter of I, the I, have a, I have a i have a uh, uh, a, a baseball segment Great. for us that i think you're gonna love <laughs> So the last thing I'll say about this is like I we were talking on the way home, the group of us who went, and we were sort of talking about like what was your favorite era, like what chunk of the yeah we did the same favorite, thing, yeah. and I I said that uh, you know she had this the era that is loosely called the Reputation era, yeah, um, is my is not my favorite, and it's right. it's very like she's kind of vamped up and she's very dark and sexy and she's kind of yeah. like, and I and the thing that I said was like you know. The reason I don't like it is I don't feel it doesn't feel as authentic to me. It feels like she's putting on a Halloween costume a little bit or 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 sort of like she's she's straining to embody the voice and the kind of artistic costume of of, of a like sexy, dark you right. know, person, which right. isn't really her. My friend made an, an incredible point, which had never occurred to me, uh, which was that she's like, you know, I think the reason that so many girls and women of all ages love her and identify with her is that the message of her career in her music is it's okay to feel all of these things at different yeah. points in your life. You are not one thing. Like, and sometimes like your soul might be the evermore folklore introvert kind of quiet, like, you know, moody person. But sometimes right. for some reason, you might either feel very sort of dark and vampy and sexy, or you might need to feel that way yeah. to sort of recover your feel powerful or feel like you are, you know, like um, uh, uh, that kind of person in that moment for whatever reason, because of a relationship issue or because of a times are tough at school or at your job or whatever. And really what she's doing is saying, that, that women specifically and people generally aren't one thing. They embody yeah. a lot of different kinds of things and they, from time to time, given the different circumstances of their lives, they need to feel a certain way about themselves. That's yeah. such a great point. And if, you've, a... and if you think of her career and her story to this point, and again, 
she's 33 <laughs> so there's a lot to come but if you if i if i rearrange my my sort of like critical brain to not think about like you know just weighing like what do i like more or less but start to think of it as like these are pieces of a whole yes. that are aimed at making specifically young girls and young women and every every woman alive just signaling to them like it is it is not only okay it is preferable that all of these different versions of a person are inside you somewhere yeah that starts to really give a lot of meaning i think to her uh catalog i agree a hundred percent i mean my favorite of the more recent uh taylor swift songs is anti-hero sure. because i just love i love the idea of this you know she's like you be the hero, be the anti-hero, right? It's like every, it's all part of, you know, there's, there's, you, you are never, you, one, you're not one thing, but two, like, do not be afraid, ashamed, embarrassed to be everything, to try yeah. everything, to do everything, to know everything. I mean, I know that from, from my daughter and I'm sure from your daughter, like, that's what they hear. That's yeah. what they hear. And they don't hear it that many places. There yeah. are not many places they hear the, not only are you powerful, not only the cliche, like, you know, girl power, whatever, but the, you have multitudes in you and and just let them all out, you know? Well, that, I, that stuff is also, th those kind of like hacky um, platitudes of like, you can do anything. Like, right, right, right. That, to me, that stuff has always felt a little weirdly misogynistic, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like, you're right. Like you have, you're telling me that we have to, like, we're still at a point where we're saying to girls, you can be anything <laughs> a man can be like that. The, 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 the act of saying it is itself yes, condescending right. and a little misogynistic. <laughs> and instead what you have is like, that's from the outside in, right? That's yeah. a, that's, that's projecting a message towards a, a young girl and what Taylor is doing is emoting from the inside out and putting her own vibes and feelings and the parts of her soul on display without like there she's not lecturing anyone. She's That's saying right. like, here's here's like all of these weird parts of me, some of which are maybe embarrassing, some yep. of which are like are like uh, are, are silly, some of which are like dark and moody. And she's and she so she's just it by herself there's projecting this stuff out into the world right. and the way it's being received is this uh, subliminally uh, emotionally non-intellectually it's being received with great enthusiasm and glee because it it's not a person in like a PSA saying hey right. girls <laughs> guess what you're special like it, she's just she's emoting it from inside her and it's, yes. and it is finding its audience and you cannot watch a group of 70,000 people respond to someone in the way that they respond to her and not understand that that is what she's doing and how successful she's being in doing it. Absolutely. Okay, so this has been two adult guys talk about Taylor Swift podcast. That's what two middle-aged white men. <laughs> middle that's why white that's men. why people listen, I think, to us is they want to hear two middle-aged white men like, talk about Taylor Swift. like rapturously discuss the Eras tour. <laughs> You know, a baseball podcast. You know, yeah, yeah you know, for girls. Um, yeah, no, it is uh, uh, that tour. Here's what here's what I said. I, I want to wrap this up because 
Uh, somebody asked me today about taking their daughter uh, to uh, see Taylor Swift. Uh, I was I was actually doing. It's weirdly, I'm talking about Taylor Swift a lot, even though I'm supposed to be doing like a baseball book tour, and I'm already. Sure. That's basically uh, when I go on radio. That's what they ask me about, and so I guess Taylor's coming to Toronto, and he wanted to know whether he should take his daughter uh, to see her. Um, and you know, he'd read that I, you know, how much I loved it. And I said, look, this is what I will say. Um, it's a lot of money. It's, it's a, it's a huge investment, not only in, in money, but in time and, and effort and all of these things. And I would never tell anybody how to spend their money. But what I can say 100% is if you go, you'll think it was worth it. Right. Whatever you did to go, whatever you did to get there, you will you will walk away going. I mean, I spent literally 10 hours at a computer getting my Taylor Swift tickets, you know? I remember. And was it worth it? Not I mean, my daughter just had the best day of her life. Yes. It's hard life. it's hard to draw any conclusion <laughs> other than it's worth it when everyone who goes says it's the best day of my life. Like what else then what what is worth more effort and time and money, you know? Right. I mean, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so uh, we'll talk a little baseball because I've got a segment that I think you're really going to like. You know how much I love segments. You love segments. I'm we, a big we do segment guy. <laughs> I, I wish we had music for this, but but maybe we'll get some. Uh, but I love the segments. Here's, here's the segment. I think people who have listened to this podcast once, twice, or the, you know, have heard all 47,000 podcasts that we've done through the years, Mm -hmm. knows that you and I, we care about the Yankees. I I think, I think people would say we care about the Yankees. So here's, here's the segment. The Yankees, we are recording this on Thursday, August 17th. On Wednesday, August 16th, the Yankees dropped below 500 for the year. Uh, which I believe is the first time since 1883 they've been That's below right. 500. Is that right? I, I think 1883. I yes, I, I they, they lost. They lost to the uh, to the uh, <laughs> to the Cleveland Spiders or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and they um, were one and two. They were one and two after three games that year. So so they are they are below 500 at this moment. Now by the time you hear this, they'll probably be 12 games over 500 because they're the Yankees, but. Right now they're below 500 and they are looking I would say you know to be to be uh precise a little ragged. I would say they're looking a little <laughs> ragged. So here's what I think we should do because you and I care about the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I think what we should do is a segment that I'm going to call the podcast gives the Yankees advice. Ooh. <laughs> this, is, this is where we are going to advise the Yankees what they should do in the 
in the somewhat troublesome situation that they find themselves in. Now, are you saying for the rest of this season, or like, are you writing off oh, the think, season and saying no, going no, forward? no? They're the Yankees. You're not writing off the season. So I think I am talking long term okay. as what the Yankees should do because there are numerous things that they should do, um, but also short term. Is there is there a short term fix here? Because Let's be honest. I think they could use uh, our advice. I think they could use our help. So uh, I'll start, and then Great. and then I'll let you pick it up. So first thing I think they should do. I mean, this is just this is me again, just looking at the situation. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean, yep. like you just right. Don't you don't do anything thing, too radical. I think that's exactly right. Don't don't change. You know, you know, don't change midstream here. This is the plan. Stick with the plan. And, yep. and by stick with the plan, I mean, you know, yes, at the moment, Giancarlo Stanton is hitting 201 at, with a 283 on base percentage um, and, and only a 444 slugging, which is all he hits is home runs. Um, so here's what I would say like, that, th this is part of my keep doing what you're doing, man. I, you just got to have that guy in the lineup, man. You just every day. I think every, so too. Every day, right? I, and I think he's got to play right. I don't think he should be DHing. I think he's <laughs> well, got to be in that's part right of field. The, that might be part of the problem is having him DH at the moment. I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you something else. Um, if you really want to send a message of you know uh, of trust and faith and belief in your team, I think you extend him. Honestly, <laughs> I think he's well, that's, he's. You, they have him until I think twenty seven, and they they have an option for twenty eight. I think you at least pick up the option. Right, you pick it up right now. You don't even wait. You, right, I think you pick it up now. But I honestly think you 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 maybe convert that option to like a three year extension and say like <laughs> this is our guy, we want him here. He's a key to the team, and I think I think you do that. I think you announce the Josh Donaldson signing re up yes. on the same day, well, right? I think. I, I mean, think that look, that would that would send the message that I think you want to send, which is like we believe in you guys, right? Our guys, like we like we ride with you. Like I think that would send a very strong message to the clubhouse. And obviously Donaldson, great guy, great clubhouse guy, <laughs> That's great big, teammate. He, he's helping you know, out. Everybody, <laughs> everyone loves the guy. I think. I mean, could you imagine how psyched that clubhouse would be if they knew? Like, look. Well, I know it's been a rough year. I, I get it, but like that, this is how this team treats their our, their players. They treat them with respect, and they know That's like right. this this guy's done a lot for the team. We're we're re upping him for maybe well, you know five years, one hundred and twenty something like that. I think yeah, it would I mean, be good. Some, some four or five years. I, I don't know if you have to go a full five. I mean, you know, obviously you want to be somewhat cost. Uh, uh, you know, watching That's cost. Right. They're, but not, they're not made out of money. Like they have made to out be, of money. Yeah. Well. And and do you not think that it's at least possible that part of the problem with the Yankees, part of the reason they're struggling so much, is there are a bunch of guys in that clubhouse going, you know, what's going to happen to Josh Donaldson? Like, where yeah. where is Josh Donaldson going to be in this after everything future? he's done for us? <laughs> like that, you know, he's not even starting right now, and the, and I think that's I think there I think those guys are looking around thinking like, is this. Is this the way we treat our star players? Right, I mean, you can't, right. You I mean, can't have that getting out into the rest of the league. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he's, you know, look, he's on the injured list. Is he hurt? I mean, who's to say? Who's, who's to, to say? say? You, you know, know? He's, he's not, uh, you know, he's not done. He's only 37 turning 38 <laughs> in a few months. Like, he's got a lot left in the tank, hey, I think. Hey, hey, that's a hard, look, 
Can we point to 40, 41-year-old guys who have had good years? Sure we can. We can yeah, find them. They're out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, at Bar- of, look, look at Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> but look, look they at, traded they tra- they dumped Aaron Hicks. They just dumped Aaron Hicks and now he's told, playing and, he's playing pretty well for the Orioles, you know. That's right. And and I think that's they're right. in real danger here of getting this reputation of not taking care of their guys. And so I think I think you I think you extend Stanton, I think you yes. re-sign Donaldson. I think you re-sign Rizzo. I think, you know, LeMayhew... Do, Le do you want to extend LeMayhew? They only have LeMayhew for three more years. They do only have think? him for three years at $15 million a year, and he's playing pretty well, I would say. Yeah. And again, he's not done. He's only 35. He turns right. 35 next week, I think. Next week, yeah. So, like, you know, w- why not two more years at, at 50... Keep the salary the same, $15 million a year. Two more years, 27 and 28. <laughs> then you know you have Stanton and LeMayhew all the way through 28... You're like these are our rocks. This is our lineup. <laughs> I I don't know, man. I I think I mean look well, at I have, Frank. I have an idea. I have a, I have a thought. Great. Because we've talked a lot about the veteran guys, but one of the big problems with the Yankees at the moment is how they've been treating the young guys. Because the young guys are really struggling for them. Right. And look, this hurts. I'm saying this because I care about the Yankees. This hurts to say, but. I think you've got to send Anthony Volpe down to the minor leagues. I, I think, think so. I think he I think you gotta give him some more like I don't know, maybe a year or two more years of seasoning, I think, at this point. Don't you think? I I mean, that's one way to do it. I think I might just cut him. You you could or you could trade him. You could I, trade you could, him. You I mean, could try to you trade feel... him. No one's gonna take him, but I, you could try. But I think I might just release him. And I you think, <laughs> and I think, clearing that money allows you to re-sign Domingo Herman for maybe <laughs> four or five years because he's he's going to be a free agent in twenty five. I mean, that's right. And he, and it's and you by the way, it. I mean, look, I would not suggest uh, trading Domingo Herman, obviously, but. Will his stock ever be higher than it is right now? Like, <laughs> you know what? You know what? It actually won't. I, I don't think it will. I think. <laughs> I think this is actually the highest his stock will ever be. Will ever um, be. This is pretty. Uh, it's it's all kidding aside. Uh, now that we've done this joke pretty well, <laughs> this team is a disaster. I mean, it's an I know. I know that. Disaster. I know the bit that we do on this show is that we're afraid that they're gonna somehow come roaring back. This team is dead in the water. <laughs> they are a mess. I, it is it is truly shocking. They they're sixty and sixty one. They're uh, conservatively ten games better in the standings than they ought to be given yeah, the roster. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's and those ten games are explained by essentially Garrett Cole, their bullpen, and the two months there and Judge has played, and that's right. it. Without that's it. without those without basically Judge and Cole and some and some good bullpenning. This is a this is not only a last place team. This is a this is a disaster season. And well, they do have this this is the caveat we always have to give. They've got 22 million of Donaldson coming off the books. They've got yes. 15 million of Severino. Severino has quietly been one of the biggest reasons that they've been so terrible. They're that guy horrible. That gosh. guy has that guy who was a top line starter just a couple of years ago has an eight ERA and is essentially unpitchable. Yeah. The, Gliber Torres has been fine. 
Frankie Montas gave them nothing for two years. Carlos Radon, who has a six-year deal, has basically given them z- literally zero in year Less one. than zero. Yeah, negative, negative numbers. But that, like they, some of the guys that are coming off the book, like uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa comes off the books. Great, that's six million. But like Harrison Bader comes off the books. They probably need Harrison Bader. <laughs> I was gonna like, say going forward, like, he, he might not they, come off the books. Yeah, <laughs> Wadi Peralta is has been one of their best relievers. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Like. They, but all it's what what is truly wild, and and I it's it's crazy to say this. It makes me feel like a, a, a I like a, a up is down, left is right. The thing about this team, as we have said over and over and over again throughout the years, is they get these guys off the scrap heap from other teams, and those guys then go on to be Matt Carpenter for fifty yes. games. That they go yes. they that they, Matt Carpenter's forty seven games for that team last year or whatever it's, it was. It's going to make We're, a 30 for 30 someday. It's, he was he, <laughs> he hit better than Barry Bonds in, at his peak. He really did. He had a 1,300 OPS. It was one of the most maddening versions of that thing that this team always has. And what has happened this year is every single one of those guys has utterly collapsed. Yes. Every single one. Rizzo, Everyone. and granted Rizzo's been injured. But uh, Frankie Montas completely collapsed. Uh, Harrison Bader's been fine. But like Clay Holmes, who seemed like, oh my God, they found Mariano Rivera on the, off the scrap heap from the Pirates or wherever he was, <laughs> collapsed. Nestor Cortez, who was in line to win a Cy Young, collapsed, injured and collapsed. Jose Trevino collapsed. Yep. Like, like, every, and then they would get these guys like Franchi Cordero, for former Red Sox legend Franchi Cordero, <laughs> and then like in his first week he hit like two home runs, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me! And then he never made contact with the ball after that ever. Right. And so all of it, and so the combination of that, and then their rookies who they were really counting on, like Volpe. Volpe is going to be fine. He's obviously a. Very, oh, I think Volpe is going to be a very, very good player. He's a very, he very really good player. Is. But in his rookie year, what normally happens when they promote the stud rookie guy who's twenty-two years old is that that guy like hits like Derek Jeter. He hits, right. has an eight, right. eight, eight forty OPS and like seven walk-off homers and all this stuff. And that just kind of hasn't happened. And Oswald no. Peraza and Oswaldo Cabrera and all these guys. That you would that you were like, here we go again. They're going. The rookies are going to hit like crazy and feel their positions really well. And these these scrap heap veterans are going to just become Matt Carpenter. None of that has happened, and it no. is it's wild to see that that sometimes this year for the first time in recent memory, everything has not worked out perfectly for them, and it's glorious. Yeah, it's it, and the whole thing has been. Like there was a moment after they lost on Wednesday when uh, to go below four five hundred, where they went to Aaron Boone, who has got to be. I mean, even in this new Yankee regime, he's got to be dead man walking, right? Yeah, I mean, at this I would point, imagine. but and he's got to know that. And they said to him something like, "Like, is it time to call the season? Essentially, I mean, is it really time to just kind of?" play out to see if the young kids can play, you know, I mean, they're out of it. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're pretty much out of it. And he kind of gave this like, well, you know, you never know what's possible. I've, you know, you get hot and things can turn around and, and it just sounded like a manager who was about to get fired for the pirates. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, it didn't seem like the Yankee thing at all. It felt 
very, very um desperate, like really desperate. And and yeah. that's how this team kind of feels right they're, now. They're like they're whatever, eleven games under five hundred over their last 60 games or something yeah and and it it should be noted and i don't i i now officially i'm like yeah they're not they're fine they're not making the playoffs we're all fine they're 14 and a half (laughs) games they're six and a half games out of a a wild card spot there's four teams there's three or four teams ahead of them they do have a pretty easy schedule for the rest of the season so here's their schedule they they they're home against boston this weekend um, then they go to the, they're home against the nationals, which is kind of nothing. They play at Tampa Bay. So that's a hard series. Then it's four against Detroit, three against Houston, which is hard. Then three more against Detroit, then home against Milwaukee, the four at Boston, they're at Pittsburgh. They're home against Toronto. They're home against the diamondbacks who stink. Now they're at Toronto and they're at Kansas city. That's not it. Yeah. That's a, that remaining schedule is pretty soft it's soft. It's not, for, it's not. It's not super easy. It's but not it's nothing. Soft. They've got. Right. Let's. I mean, you would say the Tampa Bay series, the Houston series, and well, well the Red are, Sox series will just be the Red Sox series. I mean, that, no. look, they're not as good as the Red Sox. The Brewers are are better than them. Um, Toronto's, Toronto's better, than, better them. than them. Yeah, yeah. They've got six so with Toronto. It's, so. I think the win, the combined winning percentage going forward, um, it's under five hundred. Under five hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It, is it possible that they go twenty eight and twelve and you know make the wild card? Yeah, of course it is. But it's always possible. There's, but there's just nothing that they've done that would indicate that that is likely or even possible. I mean, they got swept. It, they got swept by the Angels. Like they they lost two of three to Colorado. They they lost two of three to Baltimore. They lost two of three to Tampa Bay. They split a series with Houston at home. They lost two of three to the White Sox in Chicago. Yeah. And not only did they lose those games, they got destroyed in those games. They lost five to one and nine to two. Like they they just don't have it. This is just a year where they just don't have it. Well, and it's it's not only a year that don't have it, but it's when you look at the team. How in the world are they going to go on a winning streak with that pitching staff? How? And how are they going to go on a winning streak when they can't score any runs? There's one guy in that lineup that you're concerned about. One guy. And by the way, they've also been doing very un-Yankee-like sort of – they're getting in the middle of fiascos that are very un-Yankee-like. And that – one of those fiascos is what the heck is going on um, with with Anthony Rizzo, I mean, it is now clear that Rizzo has been playing much of the year with an undiagnosed concussion. Yeah, and it was not like he 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 was hitting like 058 for like three weeks or four weeks. He had a five strikeout game in the middle. Is it clearly something was going on with him, and they kind of didn't catch it and he was complaining about like some symptoms and and saying he's you know he's not he's he's having trouble he's having trouble Foggy. recognizing pitches yeah yeah i mean that's bad that's that's like that's that's an organization that you know is kind of doomed when you when you start getting into that kind of stuff they have one guy uh with over 100 hits on the season and it's Gleyber Torres, who's hitting 265. Who well, has I guess the highest, he's not having batting. a bad year, by the way. I mean, like, he's having a fine year. Yeah, he's got 18 him, homers. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got he's a two win player. 
Volpe leads the team in war. He's almost a three-win player because his Cause defense he, is great. Because he's playing so good defense, yeah. Yeah, and he's got 16 homers. Like that, Again, that guy's a and star. And 20 he's, steals. He's, he's going to yeah, be a star. Yeah. He's going to be a star. The craziest thing, if you really want the craziest stat, is that Aaron Judge also has the same amount of war as Volpe in 67 games. <laughs> so 67 games of Aaron Judge is three wins. Like, you know, and he leads the team in war. He's, he, he's, played, he's played half their games. And he is the most valuable player still on the team. I mean, it's it's they just have gotten nothing. They've Stanton is exactly replacement level. DJ yeah. LeMahieu was worth half a win. Uh, Kiner Falefa is worth a tenth of a win. And then you've got guys like Oswaldo Cabrera, who again were supposed to contribute negative one point two WAR. Jake Bowers, who's gotten a lot of at bats, he has two hundred at bats for this team, is negative point three WAR. Higashioka, who was a very good catcher in recent years, negative 0.6 war. Like yeah. they just have utterly, Josh Donaldson's below zero. Franchi Cordero's <laughs> below zero. Oswald Peraza's below zero. Like these, the, they've, they just don't have a roster that can compete with the other teams. And the rise of the, the real kind of like the thing that broke the dam, I think was the Orioles being really good because yeah. When the Oriole, when another team in the AL East, the Yankees always had the Orioles to beat up on, and when they couldn't beat up on the Orioles anymore, suddenly like they, there's no easy out for them. They don't have no. until they get to the AL Central, they don't have an easy series no, where they it's can great... guarantee to win two out of three or three out of four. The whole division is really good, by the way. Luis Severino's minus two wins as a for WAR is like wild, man. Disastrous. He's only made 15, 14 starts. I mean, that's that's bad pitching. <laughs> His ERA is eight. It's really uh, like that's I mean, bad pitching. That's it, bad pitching. When and then you go back like one year, just one year, and he was he had nineteen starts last year. He was seven and three. He had a one whip. He had yeah. more than a strikeout an inning. He had like a four to that one a, K to walk ratio. That was a hundred win team last year. Yeah. That Yankees team won 99 games last year. I mean, it's 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 Severino absolutely. won 19 games in 2018. He won oh, yeah. 19 games. Like he almost won the un... Cy Young that year. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's it's man, wild. Oh, man. All right. So there you go. So there's our Yankee segment. We'll we'll continue. I think uh, to give some giving advice. them advice. Yeah. 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 Don't yeah. you they, think we they should? Need, they need advice. We know a lot about baseball. Let's give them some <laughs> advice. I'm fine with that. Hey, we're there to help. We're here to help. Um. <laughs> All right, so I wrote this in my newsletter the other day, and I, I sent you a text about it early, and you uh, you commented. Is there an argument to be made? Because I don't, you know, we don't partake in hot takes here at uh, on the podcast. So I don't want this to be a hot take. I want to know if there's a legitimate argument to be made. Is there a legitimate argument to be made that this Braves lineup, as constructed right now and the way they are playing, is like the greatest scoring machine lineup in baseball history. Yeah, I would say so. There's an argument, right? There's an argument. Yeah, no question. I mean, you laid out you bit you did it in a way that I think is a good way to do it with teams, which is just overall team slugging percentage. Because yes. what is so shocking, I mean, I I remember uh, yelling about this in 2003 was the 2003 Red Sox had a team slugging percentage that ch all year was challenging for the highest team slugging yes. percentage of all time, and and that lineup in in a weird way reminds me a lot of this Braves lineup because yep. you got down to like the eight hole hitter, 
and it would be like Bill Miller and Bill Miller like won a batting title that year, I think, and ha- and had like, you know, a 490 slugging percentage because he had a ton of doubles and and uh, and you know, a decent number of home runs. And this Braves lineup is the same thing. There is yeah. zero rest for a pitcher. It is it is like it's like the big red machine where it, you know, the 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 old saw was you get you walk everybody and then hope that the pitcher <laughs> grounds out or something. Right. <laughs> and I, it is. It's. I've watched a lot of the Braves recently, and you know about Acuna, and you probably know about Matt Olson, and then you learn when you watch them about Sean Murphy, and you're like, yeah. "Wait a second, hang on a second. <laughs> they have a catcher with a 900 OPS. Like, what is happening? Every one of these hitters, these guys, and you wrote about this. Every one of these hitters, these guys like Eddie Rosario and Orlando Arcia and Marcelo Zuna, like these guys who, like you don't think of as hard outs are hard hard outs, outs. their number nine hitter is michael Harris, the is the rookie of the year from last year i mean that's yeah. just that's their number nine hitter and yeah. it should be and should be their number nine hitter when you look at their lineup i mean every single player in their lineup has uh, an ops plus that's better than average yeah. better than the league average every single player in this entire lineup um and then I mean, what can you even say about this year that Acuna is having? It, it, but this leads to a great question that I you actually brought up to me last week. So at this moment, Ronald Acuna Jr. has a 335 uh, batting average, a 422 on base percentage, a 573 slugging. He has 27 home runs, 55 steals. He scored 109 runs in 120 games. Uh, he's driven in 73. He'll probably get to hundred. He's also got 29 doubles. Um, absolutely incredible, incredible season. He's going to be the first player in baseball history to hit 30 home runs and steal 60 bases. It's never, right. never happened before. And it's going to happen. That said, is he your MVP? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he'll win it because the, the stolen bases is the thing yeah, that, that'll separate that, that will that will grab people's attention. Yes, right. Um, but if Matt Olson finishes on pace for what he's on pace for, which is a risky thing to ever right. talk about, but, whatever. But he is on pace for high fifties in the home runs. He is on pace for fifty-eight homers. Yes. He's also, by the way, on pace to play every game for the whole season. He has not That's missed right. a game. He's on pace to score one hundred and twenty-eight runs. Have a twenty-eight to 30 doubles, walk 108 times, hit 58 homers, and have 144 RBI. If this were 30 <laughs> years ago, he would absolutely win the MVP. Yes. He would be the yes. he would be the the guy. But um but I so I think Acuna still wins it. Now here's but here's the but real that's wild not, card. But that's not the guy. That's not that's the guy not you're the that's guy. not the guy you're asking about, right? <laughs> I think the guy you're asking about is Freddie Freeman. That's right. Yeah. So the Dodgers very quietly now never lose baseball games. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed ever, that. Ever. They never lose. And the wildest thing is about this the, the this Dodgers team, which no one has paid attention to. That you know, the Padres have again underperformed. The Diamondbacks were really hot and now they've faded and they might not even make the playoffs and whatever. But the, the wildest thing about this Dodger team is you're asking the question, even with Acuna's year, which is perhaps historic. Should he win the MVP because of Freddie Freeman? And the crazy thing is, is, is as soon as you ask that question, you then have to say, should Freddie Freeman not win the MVP because of Mookie Betts? <laughs> Mookie Betts. <laughs> so, it's Freddie, so true. So, so Freddie Freeman 
is on pace for 139 runs, 218 hits, 60 doubles. 60 doubles. That's right. 31 homers, 113 RBI, and 75 walks. He also may very well win the batting title. That's and right. he has, uh, thanks to those insane numbers that he is putting up, and I, and I texted you and Brandon McCarthy about this a week ago or so and said, if, if it's like hit for my life, one at bat, you need a hit, I'm, I'm choosing Freddie Freeman. That's the yeah. guy I would want. If I need one hit to save my life, I want Freddie Freeman. He has 1,000 OPS. He's, worth, he's already worth five and a half wins for his team. Yes. Mookie Betts is worth six. <laughs> Mookie Betts has a higher war than Freddie Freeman, and Mookie Betts is on pace for 133 runs, 177 hits, 44 doubles, 42 homers. That's right. 110 RBI and 95 walks. And the and what I think the thing that needs to be said when we're talking about the years that these guys are having is there are two sets of guys who you are like. He might not. He might win the MVP and might not be the best player on his team. That, that has happened occasionally, right? There's like you go back to like the Canseco Maguire thing, right, or right, you have right. the Bonds Jeff Kent thing, or whatever. We have two sets of those guys this year. There's the Atlanta guys in Olson and Acuna, and there's the Dodgers guys in Freeman and Betts. And it is if you I I the, when this year is over, assuming nothing drastic happens, none of them gets injured, whatever. You are going to be able to make a viable argument for all four of those guys being the MVP. Absolutely. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And and by the way, Freeman, just as a little aside, it's not even an MVP thing, but since since we're talking about Freeman's here, he's also stolen 16 of 17 bases. I love that. <laughs> it's he just crazy. like he has 16 <laughs> stolen bases and been caught one time. He has twice as many steals as Mookie Bratz, which does not make any sense. Mookie. Look, you wrote it, I've said it, uh, I've written it. Mookie is our greatest living American. He's the greatest living point. American. He's yes, the greatest correct. living American at this point. He should be introduced that way, much in the same way that Joe DiMaggio was introduced as the greatest living ball player. Yep. And he and he should also be introduced that way every day and go out doing that little two-hand wave thing that, that Joe DiMaggio used yeah. to do every time, that little thing. Um, but here's the thing about, about Mookie Betts. That, you know, it's like when you look at, you know, why does he have more warts? Because because he's a defensive, like, to call him a defensive genius, he's the Shohei of defense. He really right? is. He is, right? Because he's, we all know he's one of the great right fielders in baseball history, defensively. Mm -hmm. He's played 39 games at second and 16 games at shortstop this I, year. I, th this is, like, this is why, and, and I, I know I am biased. I know that I am on record as saying that Mookie Betts is the greatest living American. <laughs> a, a thing I truly believe. I really do. I believe he's the best we have to offer. If there were some, I used to play this game with my friends of like, if there is some, so let's say the, I, we may have talked about this in the podcast before. Here's the scenario. A group okay. of aliens comes to earth and says, we need one representative of earth for the competition. And that's all we know. We don't know what kind of competition it is. It could be it could be intellectual, it could be, mental, it could be athletic, it could be it could, yep, be, yep, it yep. could be whatever. Who do you send? And for years and years and years, my answer when I would play this game with my friends was LeBron James. Because right. LeBron James is the, the maybe the most athletic human being who's ever been born. He's also a very intelligent person who has yes. like who has who has like qualitative and quantitative reasoning abilities <laughs> and a, and a good sense of like the universe in which he lives. And so it's like that's our best chance for yes. a for the competition. I think my answer is different now, and I think my answer is Mookie Betts. 
<laughs> and so I know I am biased here, but I went to see a Dodgers game earlier this year and Mookie Best started the game in right field and he hit a home run. And then later in the game, he moved from right field to second base. And then in the ninth inning, I think he moved to shortstop. And in every <laughs> at every position he played, he did something very, very well. Like yes. it wasn't he wasn't like a, a crazy like sports center top ten play, but like turned a double play at second, like started a double <laughs> play on a, on like a hard grounder to his left, like wheeled and made a perfect throw. And then when he played short, a guy was trying to stretch stretch a single to a double or maybe stealing, I don't remember. And he like ran and covered the base and took the throw perfectly and slapped the tag down and got that guy out and just jogged off the field. <laughs> You're not supposed to be able to do that. It is not as impressive, nor will it ever get the highlight or the the headlines that Shohei Otani does pitching and hitting, nor should it, frankly, because that's, that's a whole separate category of, of right. athletic brilliance. But you are not supposed to be able in the same game to play right field, second base, and shortstop and be good at all of those things. You're, it's not supposed to happen. And I'm sure after the game was over, he went to a bowling alley and bowled 300. And then he went to like a then he went to a soup kitchen and served soup to the unhoused. And then he went home and worked on like a Pulitzer Prize winning essay about climate change. Like I, there, this guy is outrageous and i and i it just as we are saying all the time that we should be talking more about shohei otani we should be talking more about mookie bets well and there are two there are two points i want to make on this first of all when you talked about the alien competition so this was my imagination my i immediately imagined this the aliens come down and they say you need to give us your best for a competition and we're you know, there's a group of us. We, you, me, and 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 Molly Knight, and and a few other people are gathered around, and we're like, all right, it's a competition. We don't know what it's going to be. What we should do? And somebody says we should send LeBron James. I mean, even now at this age, sure, right. send LeBron James. Yes, absolutely. And somebody says, no, 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 forget that. We should send Messi. We should send Lionel Messi. I mean, talk about all time genius. By the way, is he? making a mockery of the MLS. like It's just pretty embarrassing. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing for the MLS what's happening right now, but that's a separate subject. Separate subject. Then we should send Messi up, but then somebody else says, no, we should send up this, uh, you know, uh, the, the great, our greatest writer we should send, uh, you know, to, to there. We should send, and then we say, no, we should send Mookie. And then the aliens say, well, who have you selected? And we're like, uh, we're going Mookie Betts. And then the alien says, the competition is bowling. And, then, <laughs> and we're like, yes, we knew we it. it. We knew it. <laughs> the second thing I want to say about this is uh, this this made the rounds on uh, on the socials uh, and, and then a few stories about it. So you heard, of course, about the guy who told Mookie Betts that if he hit a home run, he would name his daughter Mookie, right? Like yes. the middle daughter, middle name. And Mookie, because he's Mookie, said to the guy, "Like, don't do that, man. You don't want you don't want to get stuck doing that. <laughs> don't don't do that, man. Don't don't do." He's like, "No, I'm serious. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." And he was on the phone with his wife while he was doing it, apparently. And Mookie hits the home run, and the guy says, uh, "And he goes over, and, and Mookie hits the home run, walks over, fist bumps the guy." And the guy does name his daughter, give his daughter the middle of the name. Yep. I love that story, but I don't think it goes nearly far enough. So here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest we pick a day of the year, say September 18th or something. Okay. Well, actually, you know what? I'm, being, I'm going to be in LA September 11th. 
September 11th, if Mookie Betts hits a home run, we as a nation should all name our children Mookie. I think that's at right. least at least as a middle name, if not one of three middle names. I, I'm I I think that's fine, and I think we should all do it, and I think we should agree to it as a <laughs> as a culture and as a yes. society. I also just kind of think we should all name our kids Mookie. You know, yeah. like I don't think he has to do anything else. I think we should just kind of do it <laughs> because I, I like I I want there to be a a way to communicate to him. I've never met the man. Uh, I've thought about him and admired him and tweeted about him as if I do know, as if we're close friends, I would say. <laughs> yes, that's right. So an, amount, an amount that would indicate that he and I are close friends. But I, 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 my only hope is that I can somehow, in some way, communicate to him how much he means to me as a, as a person <laughs> and as an athlete. And I say this having had my heart ripped out of my chest cavity when my team right. traded him to the Dodgers. It like the the admiration and uh, I have for him and the awe with which I uh, watch him do his thing is such that it doesn't even matter that that he left my team. I still it doesn't it does it didn't cause a single blip in my feelings about him, which is usually the case, right? It's usually the case that of if a guy your leaves team, your team, your team yeah. trades, yeah. And, and granted, I, I got a little bit lucky because he went to my city and I can still watch him play all the time. But I just want to do something that maybe will communicate to him in some way <laughs> that I love him like he's my own brother. <laughs> Mookie is invited to come out to our event and we, we, we need to get Mookie to come out to our event. Do you remember who was it? Was it, uh, it was someone, it was like uh, Bum Phillips or someone. This is, a re this is a way back machine. Bum Phillips, I believe, when he was coach of the Houston Oilers, used to leave tickets at the ticket counter at the will call for elvis, for El for elvis right yeah, yeah 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 we at every event that you and i do we, <laughs> we should leave, leave we should window. leave two tickets at the window for mookie bets like and just just let him know just put it out there that maybe maybe he'll show up and come I, to I, a live podcast or something i love i love this so much that that is absolutely gonna happen all right it's time for one last meaningless thing because we we've we've got to we've got to go but before we do that, I do want to make one more baseball comment. I, I want to say this because, first of all, this this means so much to our good friend uh, and and soon to be stage partner Nick Offerman. Mm. The Cubs are good, man. I, yeah. I think the, I think the Cubs are good. We've been talking about the Reds. We love the Red story. It's kind of fading a little bit. Yeah, Ellie is struggling, and it's it's not. You, if you're the, if you're the world's fastest man, it doesn't really matter if you're never on base. <laughs> That's what we've learned. <laughs> you, you really you really can't just strike out every time and and, and still be successful. not only not only are the Cubs good, they still have I think one of the top five farm systems uh, yeah. In, yeah. in the game. Yeah, and they are now at those at the uh, stage of being good and surprising and fun where they're. Winning games they have no business winning, as right. evidenced by last night's Christopher Morrell walk-off three-run homer to right field to to beat the White Sox. Now, granted, the White Sox stink, but it doesn't matter. Like I, I because I have started paying attention to the Cubs recently, I checked in on their score yesterday and saw that they were down three-one in the ninth, and was like, ah, that's too bad. They're gonna stall out a little bit today at least. And then all of a sudden, you you look up <laughs> an hour later, and it's like. 
you know, crazy walk-off three-run homer, guy Christopher Morrell whipping off his shirt, throwing his helmet in the air. <laughs> and it it's starting to feel like maybe this is real. Like yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and they're only they're still only 62 and 58. They're right. actually t- essentially they- tied with the Reds and but like the Brewers are only two games better two at this games point. Better than the- and and the Cubs have been playing way better than anybody in that division. I mean, they're they're slightly yeah. outscored opponents like by sixty runs or something. Um, but what what makes me think about it is I look suddenly. First of all, Cody Bellinger, what's the deal, man? Like what? Now he's an MVP again? I guess I'm, like amazing, like this. <laughs> amazing. This is true. The two greatest turnarounds in baseball this year are Cody Bellinger. And then the one I texted you the other day, which is Ryan Brazier. Ryan Brazier <laughs> had 21 innings with the Red Sox and was essentially hit by the league at a level that would be the level that I would be hit at if I were pitching. <laughs> he was rele- essentially released, got picked up by the Dodgers, and is now like going to be an eighth-inning stopper in the playoffs yes, yes. for that team because he's, because he's turned it around so much, and it's infuriating. But I'll say, also say this about the Cubs. Bellinger's one story... And and some of the young guys are are great. Stroman, unfortunately, looks like he's out for a while. Yeah, that's fractured a big his, problem. Which is that's a, big, a problem. big problem. But we talk about you know in the last forty games here, we talk about schedule. Here's their schedule coming up: Royals, Tigers, Pirates, Brewers, Reds, Giants, D-backs, Rockies, D-backs yeah, again, Pirates again, Rockies, Rockies again. again. Yep. They don't have a really hard series until they go to Atlanta deep into September. Yep. This could go, this could keep, I mean, the, I, Giants are Giants are a tough series and who knows about the divisional stuff, the Reds and whatever, but like they don't have a uh-oh series until September 26th to the 28th. Like this could well, keep going. Well, that's the thing. They finished the year with three in Atlanta and three in Milwaukee and they could put themselves in position where they go into those final six games in first place in that division. Don't you yep. think? I mean, yeah. pretty pretty easily can happen. And and it should be noted, the Braves will have clinched the East a yeah, they eight, won't. <laughs> eight weeks before. Like, the Braves aren't starting there. The Bra- like, Matt Olson's playing three innings in those games, right? So, yeah, I, I this, is a, this is one of the developing stories that I think is the most exciting about uh, this season is that, like, we might... We might be out of nowhere. We thought we were maybe out of nowhere headed for a Reds postseason or even a Diamondbacks postseason. We may be headed for a surprise Cubs postseason. Oh, and that, what, like <laughs> so October baseball in Chicago when everyone's freezing cold and they're all wearing turtlenecks, <laughs> that is really fun. That's a really fun thing that's happening yeah, right now. I would love that so much. I think that could happen. All right. Uh, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast whoa, it's one last whoa. And I'll let you start. Well, this isn't strictly speaking meaningless, but uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, I got your book in the mail, um, and I did write a part of that book. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I have not begun to actually work my way through it. I will have read it by the time we are in Kansas City, but I, I, have, not, uh, I have not really gotten into it yet. I did flip just for fun 
to the chapter that I wrote uh, to just look at it in print. Sure. And the, f- uh, the, uh, the feeling of having written something a, f- a fair amount of time ago and then seeing it in a book that you're holding in your hands <laughs> is, is a, a, a not quite a Taylor Swift era's tour level feeling, <laughs> but it's a pretty incredible feeling. It's like, so and, happy. And you are, you are a person who has now written multiple books. Yes. And you have them uh, uh, the, and over, over many years about a multitude of subjects. And I, I just ask you, I guess, it, someone who's written half a dozen books or more, is it six or seven that you've written now? This is my seventh book, yeah. This is your seventh book. So as a person who's written seven books, does it ever get old to no, see that? It doesn't, no, right? It never, ever gets old. That feeling, I actually had the feeling yesterday where uh, the boxes of books landed at my house and I actually did a little Instagram uh, uh, opening of, of the uh, of the box. And that feeling of seeing your book. I mean, look, I think both you and I, we just happen to have grown up this way. We grew up readers. Yeah. So like for me, like the library was sacred. It was like a sacred place. And, sure. and, and the idea that I would ever have one book that would have, that could appear in a library would, would have just so utterly blown my mind. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to handle it, but that feeling never goes away. So every time, so, so, you know, this, this whole experience, uh, has been different for me because, you know, I mean, they're all different, but this one in particular was a very solitary experience. I wrote it and rewrote it multiple times. I had many different versions of how I wanted this book to look and I kept changing and kept reworking. And then there was a pretty long lead time after I wrote it uh, before, you know, we went through it. So it's step by step by step. We're still not even to publication date. So that feeling, wow, we're here. The book is here. It's actually in print. Seeing your words in the order you put them in on a page is this is, it's just incredible. It's just yeah. an incredible feeling. So yeah, I don't think it ever goes away. All right. That's good to know. I, I mean, love I, it. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed it would, but I, I, I only, uh, unlike well, you. But, but let me ask you book. this. Let me ask you this, especially somebody who has to deal with the editing process. It probably is way different, but you edit a show, you write a show, you film, you, you film a show, then you go through the painstaking editing process of the show where you go through it every second of the thing. Is there a feeling when the show uh, like runs? Like, is there a yeah, feeling like that? There is. The, the, and it is, it's a little different because, you know, a book is like a multi-year project right, where the right. buildup is enormous and TV is an ongoing concern where the episodes are coming out, you know, either once a week or kind of all at once. There is, there is a version of that feeling without question. The, I'll tell you the, the weirder thing and the thing that is closer in my mind to the feeling of seeing something you wrote in print is like when I was making parks and recreation, Amy Poehler got asked to come back and host Saturday night live, where obviously she had been among the most popular cast members in history for a good number of years. And her standing on the stage at a place where I used to work with her and her saying, you may uh, have seen my recent show parks and recreation. (laughs) That was super weird. And when I was on the office and Steve Carell hosted, they did an office parody. 
And I, so it was like, for me, there was this really weird loop of like, I, that was my first job. Now I work on the show. The star is back at that show, hosting that show. <laughs> and the actors are doing a parody of the show I'm working on that there are, so there are moments like that that are very surreal and very yeah. like, and I, I, it's, it, it, this is a weird thing to say. I don't, I don't know that I can say that I actually like the feeling. It, it, I, it is incredibly, it's like uncanny valley time. It's like a, yeah. a really, obviously that's a really, really specific thing <laughs> that I'm talking about. Like this is not a universally accessible feeling, but I, I didn't strictly speaking like it. I, it was intense and weird yeah. and cool in some way, but I, also it made me feel very, very uneasy in some way that I don't think I'll ever be able to fully explain. That's interesting. I I feel that sometimes. I think all of us can relate to that in some ways where something that you do sort of shows up in a completely different context yeah. from what you expect. And especially for you, it's also the full loop of it. Like it's like so it's a it's the double whammy of basically one, this thing being in a completely different setting or place and two um the the fact that it was where you started and and you know you were so familiar with it from from watching it uh with sort of nervousness uh every week and then suddenly watching it in a completely different context so i think that's really something i think i've told you this i, I think i've said this on the podcast uh i could make it my one last meaningless thing uh in fact i will um it wasn't going to be my, my one last meaningless thing originally was going to be, I I cannot believe how long it took me to realize that bathroom doors, that little hinge on the bottom of bathroom doors is so you can open it with your foot and don't have to touch the handle. Like, have you, have oh you, my even, God. <laughs> have, you have you ever even noticed that before? No, I had so, no idea. That's wild. <laughs> I was, I was in the bathroom and I saw a guy going to the door and suddenly he'd like the door started swinging. I wasn't looking at his feet. It was swinging open without him touching it. And I'm like, is this an automatic door? What's the story here? And then I'm like, Oh, he's opening it with his foot. Oh, that's what that wow. thing is for. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is huge. Yeah. This is a no, we should have led with this. Forget about your book. We should have led with this. <laughs> this, this is information for people right here. This yeah. is, this is a life hack. Yeah. Um, but instead I'm going to make my one last meaningless thing. Um, because I think I talked about this before. Um, there is a, a possibility. So the way the book business works, and I'm learning about this all the time, is every single thing that you sort of think happens naturally um, doesn't happen naturally. It's all very, very planned out, and and you know, and I didn't know any of this. This is not as true as it used to be. For example, I've always been a lover of bookstores. And when I would go into bookstores and I would see those books on the front tables, I would think in my mind, oh, the store owner thought this is the right place. Like they like these books. So they're going to put these books out front. Sure. And for years and years and years, and it's not true anymore at Barnes and Noble, but it used to be true. No, that was paid for by the actual publishers. They were paying to have um, primary placement placed yeah. in the primary placement. And it included everything, including those books you see on the ends of, of shelves where you're like, oh, that's on the corner of the shelf. Well, it was paid for to be that. Like everything was like that. Barnes right. & Noble doesn't do that anymore. Barnes & Noble now runs their stores 
So each store has the autonomy to run it any way they want. That's hmm. sort of a, it's a whole thing. It was, it was bought by a, a, a group in England and that's how they think it should be run. And which I like uh, a lot actually, but regardless, everything about a bookstore is like that in, in the sense there's nothing, there's nothing sort of like, Oh, this just happened to happen. This is, this is the efforts of negotiations and, and, and salesmanship and everything else. So, one of the things that I've always wanted is I've always wanted my book to appear uh, in a uh, an airport bookstore. Like sure. I always thought that would be the coolest thing to have books have a book in an airport bookstore for a couple of reasons. One, because as I've said on this podcast, my dream is to walk onto an airplane and see somebody reading my book. Like that's that's been a a uh, a dream of mine since the very beginning. But two, it would always be just super cool to have it in an airport bookstore. It's incredibly hard to get your book into an airport bookstore for many reasons. Obviously, the the, the main one being very limited space in those sure. stores. But also, there's a certain kind of book that works for airport bookstores. Um, romance. Uh, spy thrillers. Spy thrillers. Businessy, you know, 10 ways to... To, to make a million bucks kinds of, of books, <laughs> um, self-help, you know, those, those kinds of books generally like a baseball book wouldn't necessarily make it. Uh, I don't know if your book got into some bookstores, uh, airport bookstores. I don't believe it did. Um, no books about, uh, complicated books about ethics. Don't <laughs> fall into the same category as Although, spy, how many, spy novels. I mean, it's, it's become a cliche how many people go to the airport going, Man, I'd really like to read some, some about some ethics, right? Ethical now. philosophy. Little, That's little what I'm ethical in the mood philosophy. For. As I as I head off to Hawaii on my uh on my vacation. Yeah. That's my beach my beach trip. So there is a chance that this book will get into some airport bookstores, which is very, very exciting for me. And and that leads to the point, which is I'm dreaming and thinking, because I'm going to be on the road so much for this book. Uh, I am I, the book tour is up to twenty four cities. Whoa. I think uh, over the next it, over the next few months, it won't be all right up front. Um, and because there's a chance this thing is going to be in some airport bookstores, I think it might happen. What do you, so I wanted to sort of give you what do you think? Is there a chance I will see somebody reading that book as I go on a, a, an airplane? I think you're, I think it's going to happen. I think it's going right. to happen for you. Yeah, yeah. This is I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes. And that'll be it. Then I'm I'm shutting it down at that point. That's that's pretty much the, the last thing <laughs> I ever need to happen in my life. So, so there you go. There's my one math. I gave you two one last minute. You did. Things. You gave and two good ones today. The one that people will hold on to, I hope, is that hinge on the bottom of the bathroom door. Don't you think? I mean, that's obviously the more important one than whether your book <laughs> is bought by anyone. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. All right. So we've done another podcast. Uh, what, what percentage of this podcast was Taylor Swift, would you say? Not enough. Not nearly enough. Next yeah. time we'll do better. We will do more more Taylor next time. Yeah, we promise. We will talk more <laughs> about Taylor Swift in the next podcast. <laughs> All right, Mike. As always, thank you. Thanks for having me. Podcast. 